0: There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. No, you want to. Keep up the good work, and there you have it, there you go. We're gonna find. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 1020, November 29th, 2023, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say Max's magic carpet ride
1: continues into the Arabian night. Toto replaces Bono, Aston Martin has a GP2 engine, and Nando becomes
0: test driver for Brembo. We shall explain gladly. Thank you, Nasser. On tonight's program, Max ends the season with more records than you can shake a stick at. Leclerc should have stayed second. Fernando did what? to who no way yuki Sonoda finds his machismo-ness and what if lch does not get a winning car in 2024 i say we're gonna see some heavy 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 emotional breakdowns in or on the paddock in this week's interview kelly jones A high flutin' F1 simulator guru that NAS knows a lot about, and I know nothing. So, great interview, fantastic. And of course, I have to remind everybody that we do need your contributions to keep this program on the air. Just click on the Support F1 Weekly tab, which is on the front page of F1Weekly.com, and deep down, you know. You want to, Nas? Welcome back. We're a few days late. You had to go into some heavy-duty medical situation, but you're back in town. You're feeling better than ever, and you have a really good-looking nose now. Nas, welcome to the studio.
1: Thank you very much, sir. I must say greetings from Frederick Maryland for the next few weeks. I'm here hanging out with personal familia, if not the F1 weekly familia. So uh, it's pretty cold here compared to Florida, but I think I will survive. How
0: are things on the left coast, sir? Very good, sir. We're celebrating the Max Verstappen record-breaking season. We adore it and embrace it with love and affection.
1: Yes, sir. I was very happy, you know, because the season-long Isaac Hayes Jam Session is over for 19 drivers. But the concert will resume in March, and the thing is, you know, we have never seen such super uber domination. I mean, I don't know what to say. If ever somebody's going to ask me what happened or give me a forty words review of the 2023 season, I'm going to say, and there's only one word: Max.
0: This was unbelievable and well deserved, absolutely. Yeah, it was a fabulous. Domination all across the nation. I mean, he put his stamp of authority on 2023. Everybody knows it. And not only that, but like Lewis Hamilton said, they haven't even touched the car since August. What are they going to look like in 2024? Because they've been working, they started early on the 2024 car because they had the liberty to do so when you had Max making everything work perfectly. So it's very exciting. Yes, they will dominate. And of course, the big news with Alpha Tori that they're going to turn into Red Bull 2.0. And they expect to be competitive. And that's why Ricciardo is all excited about hanging on and getting ready for that new party. Because he'll basically have an RB 19.5. And that's going to make a very interesting season in 2024. And of course, the pressure on Toto to perform every little nut and bolt that has W13 or W14 is being destroyed as we speak, Nasser.
1: Yeah, you know, I keep thinking, and there is hope. Uh, McLaren is competitive. Mercedes has come a long way. So I'm thinking that will be more competition, pressure on Max. But, you know, the other side is it could just turn out to be... I don't know how Red Bull and Max can improve on what they have done this year, but maybe if they cannot win 20 out of 22 races maybe they can win races by 70 seconds. So uh, I think the combination of Max, uh, Adrian Newey, and Honda is here to stay at
0: least for another two full seasons. It's sort of like Sputnik, you know, when it first came upon us. Mm-hmm. It took a little while to make the big adjustment. Oh,
1: wow. Shall, shall we call Adrian Newey Adrian Gagarin?
0: Yes. <laughs> it's just a significant, you know what I mean.
1: No, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and, uh, and we can call uh, Dr. Margo Nikita Khrushchev. <laughs> okay, now, uh, you know, I want to ask you a question. This is just my observation. If you look at the marketplace, Alpine has a Formula One program going on. They're going full-blown with WEG um, and they have signed uh, Mick Schumacher. Do you really think these programs will survive the next three years? Uh, given what they are selling. Now they are promoting the Alpine brand, which is a great idea. Everybody around the world knows Alpine, but they are like motorsports version of Rich Energy. Everybody knows them, but nobody seems to see their can or car.
0: What say you? Well, you're absolutely correct. I mean, Chris Horner, when he threw Renault under the bus after they brought him four world championships and a lot of records, well, that was it. (laughs) And then... On top of that, we had the Goshen incident, which was to be on the super bizarre side. So Renault has gone through some heavy stuff. There's no more Alliance. There's no more Nissan. There's no more love. And there's been a lot of restructuring and then going electric. They're pushing the electric Alpine A110, the new one. So things are changing so fast. It's so fluid, Nasser, that what I say today is gone tomorrow. That is true. Okay,
1: sir, so let's do a quickie on Collie. Talking and racing head, see, same as it ever was. What a surprise. Max on pole, 32nd of his career. His teammate Checo on row 5 in ninth. Again, what a surprise. Sharing front row with Max was the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc. His teammate Sainz Jr. was on row 8 in 16th. Starting third and very impressive Oscar Piastri shutting row two with George Russell. Yuki Tsunoda put in a machismo performance to qualify on row three and sixth, just ahead of Nando. LCH was again out in Q2, and Logan Sargent was last man on the grid. He is the only driver of the 2023 season not to out-qualify. His teammate and his fate will be known pretty soon. So, do you think they'll keep him or say
0: bye bye? I I think they're going to say bye bye. And when you when you looked at the testing numbers on FP1 in Abu Dhabi, and then after post race the, the testing, Vesti was unbelievable. I mean, very very competitive, machismo to say the least. So, if they don't go for him, it'd be quite surprising. I know they want to give him a second chance, but they've given him a lot of second chances. I mean, I know you think another year might do him some good, and you are it's possible. But the problem is we're going into an era now where just one point is worth so many dollars. And to leave those on the table is not an easy thing to do.
1: Yes, you know, when I started following Formula One, and window of opportunity was open in Formula One for at least two years. You know, you join a team at the age of 22, 23, small team, pay your dues for a few seasons. Then you come to a mid-pack or a top team and win the championship when you're only 26 or 27. Now the window of opportunity is like uh, three races into your first season. And if you don't do anything, Clark, I still remember vividly, Charles Leclerc did not have a great start. Uh, that would match the hype around him when he joined F1 with Sauber. And I remember myself saying at one time that maybe he's not the real deal we thought, but you know, we know he's as machismo as they come. So that, and you know, they probably, I don't think Vesti, Vesti took I think two or three years to win F2. Had he won the championship in his first year, he won like uh, two feature races and four sprint races. So winning six races in Happy Dawes, or now called F2, is very, very difficult. Now, if he had done that in his rookie season, I would say, you know, let's give this guy a try. But I think he took two or three years, definitely more than one. He most likely will not hit the ground running against Albon. And if he was as talented as Albon, Albon has the advantage of experience in F1 with the same team. So uh, let's see what happens. But Logan Sargent, I am told, Brings a very nice package of a fistful of dollars, but then Vesti is backed by Toto, and Toto, even without being at Mercedes, is still a billionaire. so let's see what happens okay, so so uh, did anything
0: you liked in Kikali surprised you any any notes on that for you absolutely I mean Yuki Sonoda lined up alongside Fernando. You know what they were chit-chatting about, of course. Yuki showed Fernando that on his cell phone, his ringtone is Fernando going GP2 engine. Ah! So it's it's awesome stuff.
1: Oh, absolutely. And Fernando showed him the graphics from the um, Suzuka track and told him it's my favorite track. Exactly. Okay, let's go to the race, sir. Now, this was interesting. Oh, man. The humor, slings and arrows can be very funny. Before the race, I saw a photo of Leclerc reading a book called How to Win Races from Pole Position. I mean, how brutal. If he has to read this book, it will be even harder to win from second on the grid. And that he found out on the opening laps of the season finale in Abu Dhabi. Getting your car ahead of Max going into a corner is not enough. You have to keep it ahead
0: coming out of the corner as well. Wasn't that very, very impressive by Max? Extremely impressive. I mean, and let's not forget, I think Max wrote the book. So it, it was fantastic. Max, it does, he doesn't take any shit. I'm serious. This guy is not going to... He, he could be in a slower car and still come around the corner ahead. This guy, I'm telling you, I know a lot of people think that if they were his teammate, they could do a better job than Perez. Well, to a lot of those people, I say that's probably not true, and you're in some kind of fantasy. This guy is over the top, over the limit, and he is our gift to Formula One. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Now, there are two issues here. First, Ferrari does not have the package to deliver a championship-winning car to their drivers. And when they do, they will have to face the second issue, which is what you just discussed, the sad ri- Reality of racing these days. Max is just damn too good. We all agree on this. This is something you and I agree on, I think, each time we talk about him.
0: Yes, we are in sync, we concur, we are as one at F1Weekly.com.
1: But, like any of the great racing legends of Formula One, and we have seen quite a few, Max can and has been beaten fair and square. For your eyes only, as a reference, please check out the last four races of the 2021 20, season before the messy manipulation. Thanks, White! Now, smooth sailing for Max as he sailed to win number 19 of the season, 54 of his career, number 3 on the all time list. And next target is, of course, Schumacher on 91. And Max has achieved all this at the age of 26. That is just absolutely mind-blowing, because if this guy has a package that can win races, I don't know, I mean, he may go far ahead of Lewis, but you know, so much of depends on equipment on hand. Okay, and another among many achievements he has done, one of them is 1,000 laps led by him this season. That's absolutely incredible. The gravy bullet train he is riding will take him to 70 plus wins in my humble opinion by the end of the 2025 season when Honda will say sayonara to Red Bull. We will see what happens with Red Bull in 2026. If their new Mustang Sally partner can continue the winning dance then Max will be in relentless pursuit of LCH record of most Grand Prix wins. But, you know, one thing I keep thinking, and this is based on comment from Max himself more than once, is it will not surprise me if Max one day in the closing towards the end of the season or maybe the final race, he wins the championship and the race and then says, you know, by now it was fun. Remember Michael Schumacher when he um, left Ferrari in 2006? kind of emotional press conference he had, I don't think Max will shed a tear. He'll be very happy to leave as and when he wants.
0: What's what say you, sir? Oh, yes, I, I totally agree. Not only that, but he's already amassed so it's a huge sum of dollars. Let me put it this way. My belief, as soon as the FIA introduce reverse grid sprint races, Max is going to say, I'm off to Le Mans. We'll see you guys later. Well, that is the perfect race for him, reverse
1: grade. Because if he qualifies first and starts dead last with the package he has, by lap two, he's guaranteed podium. And by by lap 20 of a 40-lap race, he's there for the win. That's true, but he, but he just doesn't like the gimmicky... That I totally agree with him. But you know, I'll tell you, I was thinking, of, first of all, FIA, with all due respect to them no matter what they do they're not going to make everybody happy uh, but i was thinking you know in the old days in formula two they would do two races okay race one and the result for race two is totally reversed and the cumulative time was used to declare the winner maybe they should try that for sprint races something like that but i don't want you know i'm old school like you i do not want them to mess with the uh, the way the Grand Prix itself is. I really do not want... And Jorme, hombre, machismo, uh, now he's saying that uh, a qualifying system we have, which I think is pretty good, if not perfect, he wants to change that.
0: Well, Fernando, Fernando knows
1: best. Fernando knows best? I believe so. Yeah, there are a few exceptions, but otherwise he knows everything. Okay, Charles Leclerc was second, post five-second penalty for Checo. We have seen in the past that Rishal can take the fight to max and win in a competitive machinery. The fact Scuderi Ferrari took the only non-Red Bull victory of the season is MCI type proof positive he does not have tools of the trade to ring in success. Hopefully Ferrari will put him on a Red Bull slaying prancing horse. The last thing we want is for him to become the Alonso or Alesi
0: of Monaco. Do you concur, sir? You have the right to disagree. No, I hope he doesn't become, you know, the pole king of the universe with no championships and a few victories, so... But things... F1 is a very strange place. Things happen. Talk to Hulkenberg. Talk to Fernando. Talk to Lewis Hamilton and Mr. Massey. Oh, yeah. I heard an
1: item from uh, Mohammed bin Suleiman, the FIA president that he will bring back Mike Messi. Well, yeah, I mean, we have to forgive and forget. Well, this is Formula One. This is not Mother Teresa Compassion Clinic in uh,
0: Calcutta. I say good riddance forever. Excellent, Nasser. We'll have those shirts printed up first thing in the morning. Gracias.
1: Okay, now we come to George Russell. The rising and shining star of Mercedes was third man on the podium, second podium of the season, First was in Barcelona. Surprising for a Mercedes driver, Russell had four DNS during the season. I have a feeling with James Allison back at Mercedes, they will have a very competitive package in 2024. The battle of the bends between Russell and Hamilton, taking points from each other, will only help the man who needs no help in winning races and championship these days, sir.
0: Next season, which team do you think will be most competitive? After Red Bull, I believe McLaren is going to make one more leap. I believe Aston Martin needs to make a leap. And of course, Mercedes have to pick it up. And let's not for- forget, Ferrari is going to be very competitive. We know they're fast. On the other hand, we have this Alfa Tori that could become an RB19.5. So 2024 could be a pretty big mixture of fun, adventure, and agony.
1: What if Red Bull comes out with a zero-concept
0: sidebar? <laughs> we know they like big butts at Red Bull. Very good, very good.
1: Okay, sir, now where do we go? We go to Checo, Sergio Perez fourth.
0: What was your take on his penalty? I thought it was justified. I mean, you, you got to slow... Take it easy there, Perez. What is going on? And not only that, but with the Red Bull... Look at what Max does to a five-second penalty. Not a lot of people can do that. And they were hoping Perez could do it, but then all of a sudden they were teeter-tottering. They wanted help. They were playing DRS games. In the end, he didn't get it, and it was well-deserved. Okay.
1: Now, two wins and less than half the points of your teammate is a very strong, convincing trailer to all young drivers who are aspiring to drive the best car on the grid and be Max's teammate. The team is now Max's Thunderdome, and you will be entering the Temple of Doom. We have seen this movie a few times already. Since Daniel Kiviat was torpedoed himself by Doctor Marco and his machete, yeah, it's it's interesting how um, you know the careers of different people and teams are moving around. We have a few. How many months we have? Like
0: three months before the action gets going again? Less than that, I think, like uh, 95 days. Wow, that's beautiful.
1: Okay, Lando Norris completed the top five. The McLaren package has come on strong in the second half, and they may have the best driver pairing. If their momentum continues into 2024, then there will be a lot of excitement to look forward to, not just fighting Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes for wins, but the much-anticipated civil war looming over Zach Brown that will establish the alpha male among the other two drivers. Uh, question for you, sir, if they got a car that's very competitive and there is like, you know, I am the man, who do you think will win that
0: battle? Piastri or uh, Norris? I don't know. Norris is, you know, he's always self-deprecating. He always takes it on the chin. I think he does that maybe a little too much. The emotional profiles of each driver at McLaren are extremely different. And I think Piastri could win out. When it comes to the emotional factor,
1: you know, uh, Lando Norris um, uh, won the U- European Formula 3 Championship with Trevor Carlin's team, right? Trevor's wife, Carlin, and I've known her for a long time, she uh, used to be a press officer actually for Avon GP. But anyway, she told me at Poe that because he was leading and late in the race he had a suspension failure uh, and obviously he was devastated. And actually I met him after that after his dad called him and said, hey, this man knows you. And he was red like a tomato. I mean, just so upset. So Stephanie Carlin tells me that when he does not, if he finishes second, if he finishes he said he rolls and cries in a truck. And I asked him this question when we we met him some years ago at uh, Daytona. So obviously he is very talented. But man, I think that after one year of racing, uh, and after seeing him win a race, Piastri is cooking real good. I concur. Yes. So we will see how this battle uh, plays out. Okay. Speaking of Piastri, he finished right behind his teammate in sixth. The young man from Melbourne, Australia has been a championship winner in every junior category. He has raced in Europe, winning the F2 championship in his rookie season, was proof. Proof positive, he is the real deal, which he himself confirmed by winning the sprint race this season. Like his manager, Mark Weber, Piastri is a serious challenger to drill for a championship in a competitive machinery. And you know, we have not had an Australian world champion since uh, 1980, no American since 78, no Australian uh, since uh, 1980, no man from Argentina has been world champion since. 1957. So it would be great to see these nations getting a world champion so Danica Patrick can go and tell them how bad they are. Okay, now we go to, oh, this is the most important item of the day. All rise. Here's Freddie. Alonso, agent 002, finished seven. At the beginning of the season, he was in seventh heaven after five podium finishes in the first six races. Then the team did a Buffalo Bills Super Bowl appearance and blew it. Fourth in the championship is best result in over a decade for the two thousand five and two thousand six World Champion. Sir he is your man, he is your Dios. What say you about his season
0: and the future of next season? Oh I think he's I think he's very, very happy. He's obviously motivated the team, he's given them guidance. They have ups, they had a lot of downs, but they came back up and I think they'll be back up again with Fernando still at the helm. I don't know about Lance Stroll, but I'm sure he'll be there as well. Why not? He's cheap and affordable. So yeah, I'm excited. I mean, hey, more Fernando is good for everybody, including LCH. You know, LCH needs that love from Fernando.
1: Yes but I I have always appreciated the uh, mutual respect between Lewis and Fernando and also when Lewis was fighting with Sebastian Vettel for the championship that was very very impressive. Okay now Yuki Tsunoda was 8 okay now here's my take on Yuki the way he operates you know you've seen how he talks to the team and all that kind of stuff even if he qualifies a car half a second faster than everybody and get pole position my two yens will be that he will not win the race it's just um, it's just not a package for you know like if he was serious or I put it this way if Mick Schumacher had his speed he would be very successful and if Yuki had the work ethics and how to you know go around of Mick Schumacher then he will be very successful I just don't see a great future for him even though he's very quick and I was a huge fan when he was in Junior Formula when I was totally aware of how abusive he was to the team. And I don't know if that has caught up to him or just um, he just cannot be serious. Uh, Do you see a future for him especially if Honda is no longer... Well, Honda will be in... uh, You know, I will not
0: be surprised if he shows up at uh, Aston Martin. You never know. Yuki does have many futures ahead of him. I sort of like Sonoda. He's testy, a little stinky, but in the end, you know, he is fast. No, he's fast. He's feisty, which you need in racing.
1: Okay, sir. LCH, your favorite driver was ninth. Basically, MIA. No win for second year running. Bahrain 2024 will confirm if Ghost of W13 has left the building in Brackley. Daddy's little Jim Clark, also known as Lance Storr, picked up the final uh, point from his 10th place.
0: And are you glad the season is over, sir? I do need a break. You know, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be. And a little bit of a break so I can catch up with my very fine diet and health needs and concerns, Nasser
1: You know, you heard the news that CBS is going to do a comedy show with... Uh, Gunther Steiner? Exactly. You know, he reminds me of uh, Alex Zanardi when Zanardi was racing. I uh, remember my niece was very young, and I was watching the race with the kids, and after the race, Alex Zanardi was interviewed. And, you know, no matter what he said, he sounded funny. And my little niece asked me, why is he talking so this way? It's always interesting, and I have to say, I believe... I mean, of course, maybe the budget they have is not enough for him to do something. But he is quite a character,
0: and he is funny. There is no question about it. That is the smartest decision that CBS has ever met. The guy is hilarious. I mean, he's, he's been entertaining all year. Whenever he's interviewed, he has a quirky way of responding to weird issues. And it makes everybody laugh. And uh, yeah, he's going to be a big hit. And uh, he'll probably have his own restaurant in Vegas in a couple of years. On that note, Nasser, I'm going to take a quick break here because we need maybe have a couple of hot dogs and a couple of beers. So we'll be back. I I thought since the race was in Abu Dhabi, I thought we're going to have rose water. Not on this show. So we'll be back after these brief
2: messages. Hi, I'm Elio Castroneves, four-time Indy 500 champion, and you're listening to F1 Weekly.
0: Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. And now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the King, the Swami himself, Nasser Hamid.
1: Thank you, sir. First, I would like to thank the F1 Weekly familiar members who wrote saying how much they enjoyed the Eddie Cheever conversation. And many thanks to Paul Velasco of Grand Prix Weekly 247.com website for doing a very nice and detailed write-up on the Cheever interview. Paul, like F1 Weekly, is Mr. International. He is originally from South Africa of Portuguese background. He has been a professional photographer in Formula One, and got to know Ayrton Mm Senna personally. He is now based in Berlin, and we are planning a trip to Arvus Track in March next year. Visiting such a racing landmark with an equally passionate F1 fan would be quite an experience. And sir, before we go deep into the Motorsports Mondial, shall we do our interview of the week? Yes, please. Okay, this interview is with Mr. Kelly Jones. Now, you know what is interesting in life? A you never know who you will meet. Okay, and when you step out of your spider hole and go to a sporting event, and you meet somebody, and you say, "Oh wow, you're in Warren racing." So Kelly used to fly planes for FedEx, used to fly F-16 Fighting Falcons, and he's a big, long-time, lifelong motorsports fan. He's now running a business in um, Indianapolis, race simulation and driver training. It's called Racecraft One, and we had a very very great time when I met him in uh, Indianapolis when I went for the uh, Junior series for testing so I told him, okay, you know you got great stories. I have to call you one day and record your stories so this conversation took place a few weeks ago through the wonders of Skype and I hope i uh, I hope our listeners enjoy this and many thanks again to Kelly Jones, okay folks uh, today we have a Hi flying gentleman from the auto capital of the world, Mr. Kelly Jones, you are cleared for takeoff on F1 Weekly. How are you today?
2: <laughs> Thank you, Nasir. I'm doing very well, very well. Happy to be with you.
1: Yeah, we had a great time at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. When is your next trip to IMS?
2: Uh, probably uh, next week, actually. Uh, let me have... Uh... Well, either next week or if not next week, then it will be in the springtime when we have our first test event there.
1: And what series uh, we are we talking about here?
2: Well, I'm involved in a experiential series. Uh, I wouldn't call it so much a series, but it's a, a youth experiential program, uh, Next Gen And so they'll have their uh, season opening first event there in April.
1: Now, you are from uh, Detroit with racing and flying experience in far away philippines which was so fascinating uh please give us a little background on these activities Uh,
2: certainly so in year 2000 i was hired on by fedex as an airline pilot and uh, towards the end of 2000 i elected to be based in the philippines as i was uh, heading over there my uh, welcoming sponsor I, i asked my welcoming sponsor hey what sort of auto racing activities are available and he mentioned that they have the philippines international karting association and so i told him right away that hey that's something i'm very much interested in
1: how old were you and where were you when you got the racing bar
2: wow uh I- i've been interested in racing since <laughs> since the time i was a little boy like you know many many youngsters are the first time i actually uh i guess you could say in participated in a high performance driving event uh, was in 1999 uh, and I was 31 years of age at that time
1: I like the FedEx story very much the Fred Smith and how the company started what equipment were you flying for them
2: with FedEx I started as a second officer flight engineer on the Boeing 727. Uh, my first, oh, eight months at FedEx, and then when I elected to be based in Asia, in the Philippines, uh, I moved up to right seat first officer on the Airbus A310.
1: And how good and well organized was the karting scene in Philippines?
2: I, I was very much impressed at how well organized it was. I recall that when I first went to uh, Carmona Circuit, which is just south of Manila, uh, I was very much impressed with the team's deliveries, that, individual deliveries that each of the teams had, um, the, the staff that the teams had. So I was very much impressed. It was very well organized. As no. If I may, I, <laughs> my first comment was, wow, this is like miniature Formula One.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ayrton Senna called it the purest form of racing. Yeah, I love karting too. Now, racing is global, but still a small community. Michelle Baumgarner was queen of Asian karting and also tried single-seater racing in the U.S. Uh, please tell us about your association with her and her brother.
2: Oh, absolutely. So the series that I raced in was the Rotax Max 125cc uh, single-gear touch-and-go tag uh, tag series. And the importer, the, the distributor, I should say, important distributor there his name is Lee Bumgarner who is the parent father of mark and Michelle and so of course uh, I, I was introduced to Lee and at that time mark and Michelle were uh, I'd say approximately 10 nine and ten years old and so you know they were they were they were youngsters at, at that time uh, and we had it was a really close-knit Organization, close knit group, I should say, amongst the racers. So you had parents, pretty much the the fathers for the most part, that would race in the the Rotax series, and then youngsters of their youngsters, their children of various ages, uh, racing in the different series from uh, you know cadets, mini, uh, the minis, all the way up through uh, Yamaha KT100s.
1: Now I remember Michelle when she was in karting because I had a friend, his son was racing. Uh, So I was getting a lot of information, and she was very good in karting. And then she came here. Is she still involved in racing, or what is she up to Uh, these days? I don't
2: know that Michelle is is involved in karting or in racing uh, uh, anymore. When we last had uh, regular contact was around 2017. And uh, at that time, her brother was – well, let me back up. So we well, last had contact in 2017, and she had – at that time, she had – she was involved in, in a relationship with a professional tennis player. And so at, at, this, at this certain – at this at the current point in time, I don't really know what, uh, uh, what she's up to. I haven't really – I guess you could say I kind, I've kind of lost touch.
1: Now, Marvin Stockinger was another young Filipino driver, and I remember meeting him at the race and also his dad. Uh, you had association with him also. Can you Absolutely, give so, us a little uh, background uh, on that. Marlin, uh,
2: the Stockinger family—they're one of the families that that were involved in racing—and uh, this was year 2001 to 2003 when I raced in the Philippines International Karting um, Association. And and Mark, I'm sorry, Marlin was about that same age in that nine to eleven uh, year age group, and, and so. Fast forward a, a, a number of years from 2001 to 2003, I was in karting, and then I also got into in 2004. I got into racing motorcycles, and I chose as my home track uh, Sepang Circuit in Malaysia, uh, and I raced in the Malaysia uh, Super Series uh, for a number of years there. I was also a uh, safety liaison uh, for the uh, for the track organization between the track organization there and the and the car and motorcycle track day and, and racing or uh, organizations. So I was there as an observer during one of the uh, one of the weekends we had just ra- we we're kind of wrapping up and I was observing at turn 4 if I remember right yes on the inside of turn 4 and just out of coincidence uh, Marlon and his father were there at turn 4 to to observe because Marlon was testing in Formula BMW Asia and so we hadn't seen each other for a number of years, and uh, Marlon and his father asked me about the racing simulation that I had used way back in 2001 through 2003. They were curious about that because in my – I missed the, the middle third of the karting season where I didn't do I – was, I wasn't able to do any karting because of other commitments. And when I came back for the last third, I was actually faster than than, than when I when I was there for the first third. And they were curious as how to how it was that I was faster and, you know, more accomplished. And I shared with everyone there that, well, it was through racing simulation that I was using at home as a training tool. And so here we are now in this was now 2000, late 2007, when we're at Sapong Circuit at turn four, reunited with Marlon and his father. And they recalled those that year back then where I had. Uh, my skills had progressed, even though I hadn't been on track. And so they expressed curiosity about simulation, and they asked, "Hey, you know, what can, how can we use this uh, to help further Marlin's career?" And we made an appointment, and I traveled to Manila and brought uh, my gear, my sim gear, and we set something up there. And I helped them set up their own their own, uh, their own simulation setup as well. And Marlon was my first student. And from there, I wrote a curriculum and did other things to uh, begin coaching him.
1: Now, I have been to the Sepang Circuit once for a Formula One race. Great track. I won't say the same thing about the humidity there. How was racing there in the conditions there? Well,
2: just as you uh, alluded to, the heat and humidity there is definitely something to get used to. Uh, it's usually – I'll speak in terms of Fahrenheit. It's usually mid-80s to mid-90s Fahrenheit, 30, 33 degrees or so, and 50, 60 percent humidity. Uh, you can pretty much bet that you'll have thunderstorms, scattered thunderstorms sometime in the afternoon. So, yes, it's, it's a very much a challenge with the, uh, the heat index, if, if I can refer to it that way there.
1: Okay, speaking of simulation, uh, today you are running a successful business in Indianapolis, Racecraft One. Uh, You already told us what led to the birth of this. What are the services associated with simulation that you provide?
2: We supplement the coaching that we do trackside in-car with simulation, professional simulation. and We use simulation as a training device and we create scenario based uh, we use scenario based training where we create scenarios to target the exact skills, specific skills in a building block approach to take a driver from beginner driver, novice driver, all the way up to the professional levels of, of, of racing. Uh, so so we, we provide the coaching and, and training using simulation uh, and then as an outgrowth of that, as you can expect, our cust- as you can imagine, our customers began asking, hey, I I like this as a training device. How can I get one of my own? So now we also sell, service, and support uh, everything from turnkey simulators to individual components. And then we also have in our center in downtown Indianapolis with the 10 network simulators here. Uh, We also hold uh, corporate events, team-building events, and entertainment uh, events here as well.
1: And what is your typical clientele, young kids coming out of karting, single-seater races moving up the ladder, or established drivers looking to hone their skills or learn a new track.
2: Through the years, we've really expanded our offerings to uh, cover basically the full spectrum as, as you, as you uh, 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 spoke to. Our youngest clients are maybe six years old. Our most senior clients are in their 70s. Uh, everything from youngsters in carts and quarter midgets to uh, youngsters transitioning from carts into cars, uh, particularly an open wheel, as in like the racing schools, Lucas Hole School of Racing and Skip Barber Racing School, and then the next level above that is drivers who are established, who are establishing their careers in cars and moving up through the open wheel, closed wheel, um, IMSA towards you know things like IndyCar, IMSA, and we also do dirt and paved oval professional racers as well. So it's it's basically the full the full spectrum.
1: Now, Kimi Raikkonen, not surprisingly, was no fan of uh, getting into the simulator when his Formula One team would ask, uh, do you get drivers who can learn from your simulation and guidance, they get into the simulator and then just are not interested in uh, learning from it?
2: Occasionally, we encounter the reluctant client, uh, the client that requires a bit of convincing. What... And and so, yes, we do we do encounter reluctant clients, clients who, as you can imagine, who prefer to be in the actual vehicle versus sitting in sitting in a in a a, uh, what they may view as as a large video game. And and so once however, once they are exposed to our approach and our methodology, almost without fail, they do uh, see the value in what we do. If I may expand upon that just just real quick, aviation has used simulation for more than 100 years. The Wright brothers had a simulator before they actually made their first flight. It was a mechanical simulator. And the aviation culture is such that we want to – when we find a better way of doing something, of being a better aviator, we want to share that with the community as quickly and as efficiently as possible because of the safety aspect of it. Um, And when it comes to combat, as far as as, with my background as a fighter pilot, well, hey, I want my wingman and I want the other units I'm flying with. I want us to work better as a team. So that's what – part of what Top Gun and and the Fighter Weapons School uh, in Las Vegas is all about is exploring and and finding better ways of of doing our business and and then disseminating that information across the entire community. So contrast that with racing – in the racing environment as a racer when i find something that makes me better i may be less apt to share it with other people particularly my competitors and so that's what's different about about what we do here at racecraft one is we take that fighter pilot approach that commercial airliner uh training approach with with those efficiencies that have been honed over a century of using simulation and we apply that to racing
1: now speaking of fighter planes you also flew f16s can you share with us if possible fastest and the highest you ever flew in the fighting falcon
2: the highest i've ever flown is at the operational uh, permissive operational limit of the f16 which is uh, flight level 500 50000 feet wow we're limited we're not we're not permitted to fly above 50000 feet without a pressure suit because if you were to have something go wrong with – if you were to lose cabin or cockpit pressurization at that high altitude with that very thin air, then that presents some immediate and potential catastrophic health, <laughs> health hazards, uh, immediate hypoxia. And then the, the actual nitrogen in your – that's, that's – nitrogen that's, that's dissolved in your blood can immediately boil out of solution, giving you the bends. And you know, it's not – so we're not allowed to go above 50,000 feet in short. The fastest I've flown the F-16 is Mach 1.8, 1.8 times the speed of sound, which adds, the speed of sound is around 700 miles per hour at sea level or maybe 1,100 kilometers per hour at sea level. And so 1.8 times that is oh, about 1,200 miles per hour.
1: Very impressive. Now, going back to simulation on the ground, I understand Indy winner Alexander Rossi and Indy pole hitter the mayor, James Hinchcliffe, came to you for simulation trailing training for the Bathurst 1000, one of my favorite races. A uh, question, how long does it take for a driver to learn a new track, and how close is simulation to the real thing?
2: So an accomplished driver, particularly those uh, <laughs> of... Uh, Hinch and uh, alexander rossi's uh, uh caliber and their accomplishment that they can learn a new track probably within they can learn it pretty well probably within about 30 30 minutes a- and the degree to which they want to learn the nuances of the track uh as which is to the second part of your question is directly related to the fidelity with which the track is recreated in simulation so with pc-based Simulation, uh, which is what we use and, and what we use with 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 hench and and uh, and, and Rossi, the, the the tracks are are laser scanned to oh approximately one centimeter resolution, um, if if not greater than that, photorealistic as far as the, the the visuals. So the simulation is 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 very accurate, considering the way with the power that you know today's PCs and graphics processors have 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 come along. And that's what's available to, to the consumer. Of course, Ross and Hinch also have, uh, and drivers of that caliber, professional world and national world championship racing teams, top level racing teams, have access to dedicated, how should I say it, um, simulators that incorporate much more computing power. You might say, uh, you know, a full bank of computers, perhaps supercomputers, uh, along with the full uh, complement of. Displays so that different specialists can uh, ha- have full access to both gathering data and also inputting the data to to create the to, be- to more even more accurately replicate um, what the driver uh, encounters on the track.
1: And can simulation be done in the wet also?
2: Oh yes, absolutely. That's one of the biggest biggest uh, one of the key things that we do is we we make sure when we work with drivers who we work with drivers is we make sure that they're, uh, they experience driving, racing in, in the rain and intermittent conditions in simulations, so that when it does happen occasionally uh, when they're racing outdoors at an actual event, um, it's not their first time they've driven on a wet track.
1: Now, if a driver comes to you for simulation training on a track, which is not in your system, let's say a new track in Bhutan or Saipan, how do you get software for it?
2: We take a look at, the track characteristics, are. my staff and I, we have, through the years, we've developed a, a, a very extensive experience of being able to look at a track, look at a video of the track, and then we'll find a, a track that has parallel characteristics, and we'll use that as to train with. If, if the original track, as you mentioned, has not yet been modeled in simulation.
1: And if the track has been scanned and every part has been video recorded, are there companies out there that you can reach out to and download or get their software for the for a new track for you?
2: Oh yes, absolutely. There are a number of companies that that, that specialize in that. They specialize in gathering uh, different data types, both the visual, uh, the visual video data, as long with along with the the surface contours, the lidar um, data, and and they uh, they they specialize in constructing those tracks and offering them um, to the market.
1: Now there is a lot of uh push to get ladies in racing has there been a noticeable increase in ladies uh coming to your uh, simulation training
2: oh yes absolutely we've seen a steady steady increase from when we first came to indianapolis in 2011 2011 Uh, so over the past 12 years there's been a a steady growth in um, ladies uh, getting involved uh, in, in racing and moving up towards you know the top levels of professional racing
1: now, Vegas Grand Prix is coming up. Um, if you have done, done any simulation of this track, nighttime action, can you tell us what lap Checo Perez will crash on? <laughs> I, I, uh,
2: I, I wouldn't be able to – I think I'll pass on that question. Um, I wouldn't want to uh, speak, uh, speak ill of any of the drivers on the grid. Well, see – I was going to
1: ask you this question, and you've thrown a sort of a kink here, but I'm going to ask you still. Racing drivers are a special breed. Can you please share with us any or some interesting experience you may have had with some drivers? And at F1 Weekly, we love dirty laundry on drivers. We're talking about racing. Nothing personal on them, just like, you know, some like some drivers that, for whatever reason, can be very difficult to deal with. We've seen some situations. There was a race in Italy, go-kart, where this kid threw a, a, some piece of his car on the track. So yeah, you've had, have you had some knuckleheads to deal with in racing?
2: Th- through the years, yes. Uh, some drivers, I shouldn't say some, we, we've encountered a driver, You know, occasionally we'll encounter a driver who may not have the best sense of, of fair competition or may not be the best sportsman, if you will. And so they may squeeze an opponent off of the track rather than you know, giving the racing room that that opponent uh, may have earned and deserved at that at that portion in, in that moment. Some drivers, you know, we've encountered some drivers that have extraordinarily large opinions of themselves who may which leads to, which tends to make them less coachable than others. With that sort of approach, then they can be their own biggest hindrance to uh, further developing their own skills.
1: Yeah, very true. Now, Miles Rowe won the USF Pro 2000 Championship this year, moving into Indy Next next season. How long have you been helping him, and what is the biggest change you have seen in his development as a driver?
2: I've been working with Miles since uh, 2017. Uh, when he f- first ventured into open wheel uh, racing with the Lucas Oil School of Racing and, and their, uh, their uh, open wheel racing series. The uh, biggest breakthrough that Miles achieved, I would say, towards the end of uh, his second season in USF 2000, so that would be in, in, uh, in 2022, was uh, conceptualizing the way of thinking and the approach that, that a driver needs to take, a problem-solving approach from building from the bottom up. So going into it, this methodology of, hey, what are the objectives that I want to achieve, and then breaking that down into each of the individual building blocks of, okay, how, from the basics going up, what are, what are how do I work, how do I begin and start and, and have a plan, how should I put this, a process. Yes, it process. Uh, process improvement. Have a process of uh, how do I want how do I achieve that overall goal of first you know winning individual races, placing best as I can individual races, and then building that into winning the uh, the season championship. Great.
1: Now I really appreciate your time and all the information you have provided. Can you tell us how you promote your business, where your business is located? And how much of your business is from referrals?
2: I would say seventy percent of our business is from referrals and, and word of mouth. Uh, we're, we're located in downtown Indianapolis, Indiana, United States. And uh, as far as our presence online, at Racecraft One for uh, Instagram and X, and for on Facebook, Racecraft One. And then our website is uh, racecraftone.com. And that's racecraft, followed by the numeral one, number one.com.
1: Great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And I'm sure our paths will cross soon at a race drive.
2: Yes, absolutely. And, and looking forward to Nasser. I'm very pleased that we were able to meet uh, during the uh, test session. Yes, yes, the um, the, the combine at uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Okay. Thank you. And bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Kelly, thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. Nasser.
1: Well, i tell you something, Mr. Rogers, uh, maybe the Lewis Hamilton haters gravy train, more people are jumping on it. And this was a big surprise to me. McLaren has taken away the Monster Mash sponsorship from Monster Energy from Mercedes to McLaren for next season. So basically they are leaving the greatest driver, at least in terms of wins and equal in championships. And leaving also a vapor snapper, equally good, if not more, for a team that has won a couple of races in the last many years. Uh, what's your take on this? Do you think this is a smart move?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a smart move. Why not?
1: People think Zach Brown is a joke. Zach Brown came from LA, young racing driver, and he became a complete. 800-pound marketing motorsports gorilla. He did a tremendous job. Then sold his company for a lot of money. And that's where his wealth is from. But he brought in UPS, Johnny Walker, and quite a few companies. I mean, just look at the McLaren car. Google is there and so many names that I can't even remember. So they, they have done a tremendous job. So congratulations on Monster Energy. You know, the sponsorship that really surprised me is you know anything now with like 25 30, for a branding on a car uh at least on sidebox is uh, moneygram throwing all that money and not requiring the team to have mick schumacher in the team because you know how big that name is anywhere in this world outside the us So well, that was a real big surprise okay sir now we are going to do a seasoned review in clint eastwood style the good, the bad, and the ugly. We shall start, of course, with the good. More like the very best was the absolute domination of Max and Red Bull package. Most win and most points in a season and completely destroying everybody in process. According to the song Radar Love, Brenda Lee coming on strong, it was good to see McLaren and boat drivers coming on strong in the second half. Rookie Oscar Piastri even got a win in a sprint race, and that was very, very impressive. Another good and very impressive win was Sainz Jr. in Singapore. What a smart and thinking man's closing laps, keeping Lando in DRS zone to avoid LCH passing him and threatening for victory. This is what you expect from Nicky Lauda and Alain Cross of the War. A 3G was we still have Spa, Monza, and Suzuka on the calendar? let's hope these classic tracks are not replaced by street races in oil-rich towns like Cabinda in Angola or Karaganda in Kazakhstan, because money talks. Also good, for the most part, we had a pretty safe season. Honey Badger broke his hand at Sangford, but he is back in action. Apart from Alonzo, what was good for you this season?
0: Well, Alonzo was a big part of it. I mean, The first race of the season, his pass on LCH. I mean, it was awesome. The podiums at the beginning of the scene. Because, you know, Fernando was almost forgotten. Sort of like LCH now, you know. And this resurgence, we had Fernando fever. There was Fernando hooked up with Taylor Swift even. So it was an awesome season. I mean, Fernando in Brazil was awesome. But let's not beat around the bush, Nas. It's Max for stopping. You there's no stopping Max. He was awesome. I think he is a gift. I'm telling you we're not going to see this much longer because he will quit and move on to other things. I think he wants to do the 24 hours of Le Mans with papa. So, fantastic season and great Fernando stuff. Not only that, but we had great radio messages. I can't wait till we put all these things together with LCH crying, Fernando crying, the car's too slow in the straights, and then he goes on to pass LCH. And him holding off LCH, I mean, it's been a Fernando season despite Max dominating because really, after Red Bull, you really had to go and pick your teams and watch them blossom. And let's not forget, Williams made big steps forward, and that's where we expect Logan Sargent, if he stays, he better do something next year.
1: Yeah, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great that 2024 season starts and teams with the fastest cars are Aston Martin and uh, Mercedes and it's same old story repeated again from 2007, Lewis Hamilton versus Fernando Alonso. Wouldn't you love
0: that, sir? I would not only love that, but see, that's so far into the ether. That, that's pure fantasy. And I don't think something like that will ever happen for me again. But thanks for the thought, Nass. I appreciate it. You're welcome, senor.
1: Okay, the bad. Paris becoming Max's piñata. Two wins compared to 19 for his teammate. Some may say this is ugly, but I am taking this I am taking into account who he is going up against. This movie has been seen many times in the last many years. We saw it at McLaren with Senna and Berger, Schumacher and all his teammates, Hamilton going against Helsinki Formula not once but twice. Also bad was the false of Aston Martin in the early stages. There was irrational exuberance. Especially in San Jose, California, in the palatial studios of F1 Weekly, we were hoping Machismo will win a race for the first time in over a decade. Alas, Yurik, it was not to be. To be or not to be in 2023 was the question for Mercedes. At least last year they had a win. Now both the Zero Sight Powered and Mike Elliott are gone. James Allison is back in charge. Let's see what 2024... Brings for
0: you, bad for you, Signor. If anything, Ricciardo breaking his hand was a big bummer. I never want to see anybody get hurt in Formula One. So there for me, the bad. I was hoping Renault would finally get up to the top three, and they look fast. But there's just no enthusiasm. I think Pro said there. There's no real leader and motivation at renault it's sort of messy over there so i'm sort of bummed out about that i'm really happy that it was such a wonderful season and it really moved quickly and vegas was awesome i mean we had three grand prix in the united states what's not to like nasser
1: Exactly, Mundo. you know before we go into the ugly of the season what did you make of toto wolf uh, giving instructions and talking to Lewis during the race
0: i thought that was funny Oh, it's hilarious. I mean, it, like I said, all the radio messages this year, especially the ones from Mercedes where they're trying to figure out what's happening, it, it's it's fantastic. And Toto, I mean, him, he he's pretty entertaining as well. I mean, he's all over the place, especially when he came up and fought for Vegas. I thought that was fantastic. And he's, you know, he's under pressure. He doesn't want his Lewis Hamilton to start feeling that maybe it's him, not the car, you know, everybody's questioning their their abilities as they age. So, so there's a lot of pressure at, at Mercedes. I don't think there's ever been more pressure at Mercedes than there is at this very moment in this winter.
1: No question about this because the parent company, luxury brand leader in the luxury brand segment they are interested in going three seasons with one win. So I do expect this uh, 2024 package to win a few races if not the Championship. Obviously they're not gonna beat Max's record, but uh Lewis needs to have three to five wins and also same for uh, George Russell. Okay sir, now we go to the ugly. Red Bull made Nick Defries Eli Wallach of Formula One. The kid who was once the king of karting impressed a lot of people in his debut at Monza in Williams. Like Michael Michael Andretti at McLaren he would not see the end of the season. On positive note, Nick has just been announced as one of the drivers for Toyota in their WEC program. He is replacing Pachito Jose Maria Lopez, who will stay with Toyota, but in GT3 racing. Also fugly was the timing of the Vegas Grand Prix. Start at 10 p.m. local time, 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 a.m. in UK, and I think 2 o'clock in the morning in F1's biggest audience, TV audience market, Brazil. What were they thinking? And Justin Beaver waving the checkered flag? At least he was more excited than Tim Cook. What was ugly for you apart from LCH finishing ahead of Machismo
0: in the championship? That must have hurt. That was pretty ugly. Pretty ugly. Really hurt. I'm still lapping up my wounds. But the ugly was the freeze. I mean, we talk about giving Logan Sargent more time, another year. I mean... It was brutal, classic Dr. Marco. You had to feel for Toto, who was watching on the sidelines, because Nick DeVries was always there. He was the Mick Schumacher of the previous couple of years, always next to Toto. And Toto thought he was a very talented man. And that's why Monza was so impressive, because Toto, we all thought Toto was right. This guy could be the next Formula One world champion. Well, he was fired that was pretty pretty ugly i thought they they should have let him go to the end of the year even i nasser have feelings very
1: good okay sir uh, now we take a quick uh, brief look at the history of abu dhabi Grand Prix. the first race took place in two thousand nine as season finale and was won by sebastian Vettel for red bull he won again in two thousand ten and took the first of his four championships all in a row his teammate, Mark Weber, had led the championship most of the season, but was unable to take the heat from Seb when he started cooking late in the season. I never thought Seb would win that championship. but well, that was amazing. Uh, and of course, if you will remember, Seb led the championship one time only after the final race, so very impressive. There was a third man also in the hunt looking for his third championship but a yellow Russian submarine torpedoed his chances. Who could that be? In 2012, Kimi won the race for Lotus after famously telling the team, leave me alone, I know what I'm doing. That was classic. Max has now won this race three, uh, four years in a row, I believe. Three or four.
0: Is it three or four? It's four, sir. It's max, max to the max.
1: Yes, But Lewis is still the most successful driver in Abu Dhabi with five wins. And the Formula 2 championship, Mr. Rogers, congratulations to you. Your fellow Français, Théo Poircher, is the new uh, Formula 2 champion. And he may go and race in Super Formula or he may race here in IndyCars, but uh, he will be a reserve driver at Sauber. So I wish him all the best.
0: That that was pretty exciting. And uh, I don't know if you heard pouchère in the car when they told him that he'd won the championship?
1: He was crying?
0: Yes, he was crying, asking for his mommy.
1: No, I watched both races and the, it was very, very exciting racing. Frederick Vestey did a great job, but came a little short. Okay, sir, now we come to the Frito-Lay file. Your favorite. Time to dip the chip in some sour cream. Another passenger has hopped on the Hemi-Hater's express train. According to JV, Jacques Villeneuve, Lewis had it easy for many years. Man is absolutely correct. But once you get off this train, cross the platform to take 5.30 to Yuma, question has to be asked in the dry heat. Who had it easy to win the championship and put his car on pole position for his Grand Prix debut? Question is, was he driving an ATS, Real or HRT? Oh, no, he was driving a Williams, a car Michael Schumacher could not beat. And who was the driver? The same JV. Amazing how slinging arrows can turn
0: into boomerang. Any comments? But those were great, great moments. I mean, I was a big JV fan. 96, 97 was exciting. It was great racing. And sure, but you have to give it to to JV. He won the Indy 500. And then... He got the the ride over at Williams, and what he did from there was just so impressive. From the Indy 500, he was able to keep the wind to his back and continue that success, and that's what made it so exciting. No, he is a great racing talent,
1: and I have to this day, and you can just see how flustered Max get when things don't get his way. I have never seen a racing driver as cool as Nareen Karthikeyan, meaning Cucumber, as J.V., especially when his championship-winning season was coming to an end, the last couple of races, and he was down nine points to Michael Schumacher, I was very, very impressed. How what a cool cat he was! So that's all good. Okay, sir. So finally, we come to Musical Mondial. The race took place in Arabia, so we have an Arabian theme music, uh, which I used to listen as a schoolboy, and many moons ago, of course. And this tune is called Dancing Eyes from the Orchestra of Ron Goodman. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy. Thank you. Good night.